Hello, my name is David Coletta, and I'm the senior leader at Mission Community Church. Before you begin watching the Sermon of the Week, allow me to pray that you might encounter God right there where you are. Father, I ask that your spirit will be present right where people are watching this video. May they be receptive to the voice of your spirit as they watch in Jesus' name, amen. From all of us at MCC, may God bless you as you watch this week's message. I wanted to start off today, the talk's called Firefall, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. But uh, I want to start off with a question. Do you have a bucket list? Do you have a bucket list? You know, uh, the idea of a bucket list, in case you don't know what that is, comes from a movie that came out in 2007 called The Bucket List. <laughs> and in it, uh, there's a story of, uh, there's a guy played by, I think, Jack Nicholson, who's a billionaire, apparently, and there's Morgan Freeman, who's just a mechanic, and they almost have nothing in common, except one thing. That they're both in the hospital, and they have a terminal disease. And they realize they're running out of time. And so they, 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 they make this bucket list, these, these things that they want to do, these key things they want to do while, they're still, while they still have time. And so they go on this adventure in the movie to, 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 to work together to, to fulfill their, this bucket list, right? And you know, when I was uh, kind of looking into this, I, I googled bucket list. I, I want to see what are some things that people want to do in their life before a time, time runs out, right? And so you, 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 know, you come across all these, different, uh, all these different things. So let me just read some of these to you. For some people, 
this idea that they want to go to an Olympic uh, spectacle, right? They want to attend some Olympics so they can see the international glamour and grandeur, seeing these people who are, uh, who are at the top of their game compete for, to, 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 to compete and stretch each other to do even better, right? And then um, some other people had, uh, they wanted to be somehow known in the, 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 the world records, right? Whether it's a, a Rubik's cubing or, is that a verb? Or, or uh, juggling or unicycle. They wanted to be able to be a part of something that would attain some sort of world record. For other people, they wanted to be risky and do something exciting. And so they have people doing like bungee jumping, right? How many of you want to do bungee jumping, right? Yeah, yeah, yay, okay. So, you know, there people want to just do something that just gets the adrenaline pumping, right? Um, and then other people maybe had some more mild things. They said, you know, they, before, if they had a bucket list of things, they want to learn a foreign language. They want, to get, they want to immerse themselves in a new culture and be able to just uh, be able to know so well they can speak fluently and think in another language. There was, uh, as I dug around a little more on the internet, because there's so many interesting there, things there, I saw some, some minor lists, other lists of things that uh, maybe a little bit more unusual. There was one list one, where a person said that on their bucket list, what they wanted to do was to be able to, to have one month where they uh, live and eat a vegan diet for just one month. I don't get it, you know. <laughs> if you know my family, we, we tend to, uh, we like animals, let's put it that way. And, uh, and, and if you're a vegan, vegetarian, more power to you. I'm just saying for me, it was like, I, I just don't get it, okay. As I was thinking about this further, I thought, you know, when I was a kid, I, you know, I grew up in Hawaii, and, and it's, a, it's a sort of an interesting place, you know. Hawaii, we don't have, we don't have daylight savings time because... We just have a lot of daylight, and, uh, and it's a warm place, and, and there are mountains and beaches, and, and I was thinking to myself, I wonder what I would have said would have been on my bucket list when I was just a kid. And I thought about it for just a moment, and then I realized, oh, I know what it is. Obviously, on my bucket list as a person growing up in Hawaii, would be able to see something that was mythical, legendary, amazing, nothing short of snow, you know? <laughs> Not kidding. When you grow up in Hawaii, you know, you never see snow. And so you see it in, you hear it on the radio, you see it on TV, you see it in the movies, and you're like, wow, the essence of snow cones and shave ice all around you. <laughs> and I said, this, this is so cool, literally. And, and, and I thought, man, that's gotta, that's, had to be, would have been on my bucket list to see, definitely. And you know what? In many ways, uh, God gave me the chance to do that, because I ended up going to college in Boston. <laughs> Boston has snow. <laughs> and I remember the first few times, I thought it was so fascinating. I, you know, I'm the guy from Hawaii, you know. I had, no, I had no sweaters, no nothing. I mean, I beach shorts. And so where do I go? I go to the place, obviously, to get winter clothing. I went to a ski shop. <laughs> and, and the first day, it snowed. It was only about an inch or two, but I was on the field, and I was making snow angels, however you do that, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but after living there for 10 years in Boston, I would say... Um, I, I checked off this thing on my bucket list. Uh, I still like snow, but it's okay, you know. So, um, as you can see, I'm wearing a sweater today because I, I do like it a little warmer. So, <laughs> but you know, and as I think about my bucket list today, uh, there's a number of things, but there's just at least one more thing that I would love to see. One more thing that'd be on my bucket list, and and actually, uh, this thing has to do with Yosemite National Park. How many of you have been to Yosemite? Anybody? Yeah, it's a great park. It is one of the premier national parks in our country. And uh, I, I, there, there are so many things. There's, there's trees and just camping and, and, and mountains. And, and there's waterfalls. Did you know there's 13 waterfalls there? And I think the Yosemite Fall is one of the, uh, one of the grandest ones of all. But you know, it's interesting that out of all the 13 waterfalls, there is one. One called Horsetail Falls that at first glance, may not seem very spectacular. As you look at, here's a picture of it. You know, it's, it's not the tallest one, it's not the widest one. Uh, in some years, if there's not enough snow above it, there's not even any water, it doesn't even run. It's not really a waterfall in those years. Um, but people observed a while ago that something definitely makes this fall outstanding. And what it is, is that once a year, at a certain times, under certain circumstances, 
and, and because of this, people come, hundreds of people come every year around that time. What happens is, at certain times, people can observe a phenomena known as firefall. Firefall. And what, what, what is this firefall? It's this idea that as people gather around the end of February, under the right situation, circumstances, if there's been enough snow that year so that there's water to flow, if that particular day was warm enough so that the snow was melting and flowing, if that day there wasn't too many clouds but the sunlight was just the right caliber, the right quality, then what would happen is as the sun starts to set, uh, people would look to the heavens, look to the falls, and, and they would be looking for something. And I was reading an article saying, and many people actually feel a little disappointed for a moment because actually, before anything happens, the sun has to almost set. And there's darkness for a moment. And people are like, oh, I guess there's no firefall this year. But it's usually just maybe 10 seconds later that if it's going to happen, it happens. And the light hits the water in such a way and, and bounces around, does all that physics thing, and it begins to light up the, the falls so that it is like a, a, a cascading uh, of fluids of flaming fire coming over this cliff. It looks something like this. Oh, sorry, let me go here. Sorry? Yeah. I, I, I remember reading about this, and I thought, wow, fire from heaven <laughs> flowing down. I said, what an amazing thing. And I, I, I would love to see that someday. But even more than this, I know one of the reasons I love this image is because there's something else that I would rather see. I would give up everything else to see. And that is to see revival in our time. <laughs> to see historic revival, another great awakening come upon our city, our state, our nation, the world once again. How many of you know the time is ripe for a great revival to come upon this land again? Oh, God, if, if we had just had the chance to see that again, uh, that would be amazing. But you may wonder, you may think, but do we really need revival? I mean, what's the big deal about revival? Well, at least one reason why we should talk about revival today, and I was asking the Lord, Lord, what would you have me share? Um, the Lord was just saying, well, you know, share what's on your heart, you know? And certainly God knows what he's put there. But besides that, um, we have been doing this series. I don't know if you heard about it. It's called Signs of the Ends of the Age. Pastor David has been graciously going through this, through the Word of God, looking at some key passages, Matthew 24, Book of Revelation, all these things. And I really appreciate his heart. He, instead of getting to all the details and, and getting to all the fights about, well, it's got to be this way or this way or this way, he's emphasized the thing that is most important, that is the thing that we can, all can agree upon. No matter what darkness we see, no matter how difficult times get, no matter how hard to, can, things might be right now, the truth of the matter, the book tells us that at the end of the days, Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen? At the end of the days, uh, Jesus Christ will come back for his sons and daughters. And he's going to restore all things and bring healing. He's going to do all these amazing things because he is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. And we love him. And thank you, God, that, that, that he will never forget us. He will never abandon us. Amen? You know, um, uh, uh, Pastor David had a chance to cover different aspects of signs of the end of the age. And without getting to all the details, you know, he, he did look at different passages like Matthew and Revelation. And, you know, the, the Bible does say that in those days, there will be some pretty dark things, right? Uh, talking about war and rumors of war, natural disasters, probably economic disruption, and maybe even disease. That all these things are the beginning of birth pangs. There's more to come after that. And some people, as they've read these passages, they've thought to themselves, well, you know, with all these dark things and difficult things, surely the age of revival is over. I would beg to differ. Because as you look at the passages, as you look at even those same passages that we just mentioned, it shows us a glimpse that God is not done with people yet. The end of the age may bring judgment, a very deserved judgment upon the earth that has turned their back on God. But at the same time, our God is a good God. He's a God of mercy, a God who's compassionate, and his heart will continue to reach out to this world even in those times so that people have a chance to, to come back home to God, to find a way back. 
I'll just show you a few. I mean, there's a lot of passages, but let me just show you a few right here. Matthew 24 that we've looked at before. In verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, sometimes people look at this as just a technical thing, right? I don't think it's a technical thing. It's not just that someday we're going to figure out how to beam a three-minute message of gospel throughout the earth. I think what this hints at is that during this time, the slumbering church will be awakened. Yes. That people will begin to see that there is only one who is worthy of my entire life and my, of, of, of all my energies and all my desires. And when that church begins to awaken, it, you know, they will be actively taking the gospel out to every nation, every people, every tribe. Because God knows, uh, you know, people need Jesus. And the church will, once again, have all its priorities set so the gospel goes out. There's another verse that we looked at, uh, book of Revelation. And it says here in, in chapter 7, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. <clears throat> out of the tribulation, out of that tough time, will come out a people from every group who will bow their knees to the Lord and declare that He is their Savior. This is a picture of revival, I would submit to you. And so, even as we talk about the end times, the, day, the end of days, they're, they're, the scripture hints at very strongly that God will not just, you know, write off people and just say, well, time for judgment and that's it. But his heart will continue to stir the church and say, hey, let people know how good I am and how good the gospel is. Amen? Amen. With the time I have left, I want to touch on three truths about revival, three truths related to revival that are so important. And I felt like Lord God gave these to me. And it's funny because it kind of showed up in our songs today. um, But what is the first thing? The first thing is this, three truths. First truth is that God is good and he loves you so much. I know if you've been a Christian for any time, this is like what you've, you've heard over and over again. But I want, God wants you to know how good he is even in these difficult times. And he loves you amazingly. Many years ago, this is a picture of my family. This is about 10, maybe about, let's see, maybe about 12 years ago. And you recognize me, my wife Tina, that's Joseph. And Stephanie is in the front there. Stephanie's the mischievous one. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's really funny, just a really quick aside. The, the, the look on her face, we actually went through all these digital photos from the last 20 years. And we're looking at it and it says, why is it, Stephanie, you never smile straight, you know? Why do you always have this look like you're up to something? And she's like, <laughs> and I said, okay, okay. But what happened was, um, this is maybe like I said, 10, 12 years ago, one of the things that me and Tina did, we used to do with our family was, we would make, make it an important priority to have one-on-ones with our kids. So, so uh, I would go out with Joseph or go out with Stephanie, and, and Tina would do the same, and we would spend time with them just to hear their heart, right? just to be able to share, let them share what's going on, right? Because once again, you know, um, there are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God, right? Every person needs to come to a relationship with God and become a child of God. And so we, we wanted to talk to our kids about things like this. And so I remember one of the first times we went out and um, we would go to her favorite fast food place, I think it was Wendy's at the time, and, and we would talk about what's going on with her friends, what's going on in school, and then we'd talk about, hey, what, what, I would say, what's going on in terms of uh, what God's been saying to you? Is there anything that he's, he's been showing you? And I remember that first time she said, oh, um, I've been thinking about John 3.16. I said, really? That's awesome. I said, do you know it? She goes, oh, yeah, John 3.16. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I was beaming like, wow, that's awesome. She knows this verse. A few months later, we, we were having another one-on-one daddy date hanging out and we got to eating and talking and then I, I noticed she, was, she had started a wana and so she was memorizing different scriptures. So I thought, I'll ask her what scripture she's memorizing, right? So I, so I never saying, Stephanie, what have you been learning today um, these this past weeks? And she, she paused and she goes, John 3.16? And I was like, 
okay, sure, wow, what a coincidence, okay. And, uh, and the funny thing is, a few months later, we're, we're having another one-on-one, we're talking, and I say, so uh, have you been able to do some quiet times and get into God's Word? She goes, yeah, yeah. I said, so, so what kind of verses have you been running across? And she kind of looked at me and said, uh, John 3.16. <laughs> and at this point, I realized, I think she's, she's not quite uh, letting me know what's going on with her. And, uh, and, I, and I felt at first a little, she, she later admitted that she just wasn't ready sometimes to share what, what verses, but she knew John 3.16. And, and, and at first I felt a little disappointed. I said, oh, I thought my daughter would be this person that knows all these vast swaths of the scripture and all this stuff, no theology and all that stuff. Well, she was only at eight, but you know, um, I thought she would know all these things, but then the Holy Spirit kind of tapped me on the shoulder and nudged me a little bit and said, you know, she's got to get stuck on one verse. John 3.16 is definitely a great verse. You know, I think, I think she would be in good company like people like Billy Graham, right? Because Billy Graham, Billy Graham actually used to preach, and, and I, I listened to a number of his messages, and he would talk about God's greatness and grandeur, about the power of God, and how all the things he did, such amazing things, how powerful he is and awesome he is. But he says the thing that he wants to end on, the thing that's so important, is that God loves every person in that room. And there were times when he'd be so overwhelmed that as he's talking about this, he would look out into the vast uh, audience, and he would say, you know, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And, and people would respond to the Holy Spirit, working through this man, emphasizing a, a, a verse that in many ways captures the entire gospel. For God so loved the world. God did all things he did, not out of obligation or out of uh, some mechanical thing. It's because God has a love for each of his people. God is a person that, that when he says he loves you, he doesn't just talk a cheap game, but he backs it up. How did he prove it? He sent the, thing that is, the person that is most precious to him. He sent his only son to come to this earth to be willing to suffer and to die a horrible death that we deserved, but he took it upon himself. What an amazing truth. God is good and he loves us so much. And you might think, well, what does this have to do with revival? It has everything to do with revival. And that's why I felt like God put this on my heart as I'm talking about revival. You need to understand revival is not just one of 100 things that you do or you think about as a Christian. It's not like number 87 on the list. But in fact, revival is at the heart of who God is. That our God is a God who really delights to stir up things and to make the dead come to life. About 12 years ago, I, I was talking to my brother. I remember on the phone, he lives in Hawaii, and he's actually um, a pastor too. <laughs> our family was so pagan growing up, and somehow God got a hold of us. And he has a church among the homeless there, and, and he would be preaching to them a lot and seeing miracles. And one time, he, he called me up, and he's talking to me, and he says, he said, there was just really uh, interesting that happened. I said, oh, tell me what happened. He says that he was outside this Filipino shopping store or, or, or food store, and he and his friend were on the sidewalk, and they started talking about how good God is, how, how God is one who heals. And, and they were getting all excited and animated about it. And then this older gentleman who's walking the sidewalk paused, and he listened to them, and he came up and said, do you really believe that? Do you really, really believe God heals? My brother and his friend was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. God can heal. And so the old gentleman started to share his story. He says, you know, a few weeks ago, my son, he's just a young man, he got into an accident. And it devastated him. And he fell into a coma. It's been a couple of weeks. And today, the doctor came to me and said, we've done everything we can. If you're a praying man, I get to pray. And his father was just walking around kind of dazed when he heard this conversation. And, and, and he said, if this is true, can you come and pray for my son at the hospital? And my brother said, yeah, absolutely. And so that night, he, they went to the, 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 the room, and the boy was totally non-responsive, totally unconscious. And he just took his hand and just started praying, God, God, you know this boy, you know his heart. God, we pray that you would bring healing to him in Jesus' name. And he didn't know what else to do. He prayed his prayer, 
they, and, and, and they stayed a while, and then they left. The next day, my brother gets a call. Bring! He picks it up, and, and it's the father. And the father starts to say, what did you do to my son? What did you do? And my brother's like, uh, nothing. We just prayed for him, okay? And, and then the father started to tell him that that morning, the family had gathered, some of them Christians, and, and they wanted to be with the boy, maybe to pray with him. Before anything could happen, they were just sitting around talking, and suddenly, uh, the TV, you know, there's always a TV in these rooms, and I don't know what was on there, Jack, you know, uh, uh, whatever, uh, a Wheel of Fortune or something. But all of a sudden, the volume started getting louder and louder and louder. And people are like, who's turning up the volume? And then they look toward the bed, and there is the boy who's in the, supposed in a coma, and he has a remote in his hand. He's, he's, he's turning the volume up, okay? Okay, I guess he really liked Wheel of Fortune or something. But, um, but the people were so excited, and they stayed, and the Christians there started to pray. Long story short, the next day, the next couple of days, he started to make a recovery. He started to wake up. And my brother was able to go back, share the gospel with him, and lead him to the Lord. And the boy made a full recovery. Praise God. And I remember that my brother was so excited. I was excited for him because it helped to reinforce that our God is a good God, that he specializes in raising the dead to life and making those who are spiritually asleep to wake them up, to stir up those that have fallen into a coma, to set them free, to help them once again be whole and restored. Amen. You know, God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want to, but in his very heart, he is one who revives and restores. And as we talk about revival, we need to understand that, that it's very, out of the very heart of God that revivals happen. And that's the first thing I wanted you to know. Oops. Second thing, truth, is that God has more for you. And I think we sang a song about this a little bit earlier, right? Um, God has more. What, what do I mean by that? You know, um, when we become Christians, we get so much that's made available to us. The resources of heaven become available to us. We are forgiven of our sins. We are called into his family to be sons and daughters. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We can have intimacy with God, and we are given spiritual gifts. And if we're a healthy Christian, we can be walking out every day, and we see God intimately working in our lives, uh, uh, leading us to the right people, and doing amazing things. God can absolutely do that today. And when that happens, we should absolutely be thankful. I think that was one of the main things we talked about in the prayer before service today, that we can return to joy when we learn to be thankful because God has given us so much. But even though that's true, and that can be true for those of us who are walking with the Lord, God wants you to know that there is more. Have you heard of a guy named Bill Johnson? Anybody? Bill Johnson? Yeah. He, he, uh, if you read his story, you know, he went through some tough times to listen to to listen to God and obey him. And after all the years of following God, seeing amazing things, he would say in his biography that his life message, the message that God has, has rolled up inside of him and, and has the main message, if there was just one sense to describe it, his life message is, there is more. That there is more to the Christian life than what we just see on Sunday mornings. There is more to the Christian life than what we have read uh, online. There is more to life. That God himself, there is more to him. Even if we know him, the great thing about God is he's much better than any uh, buffet or anything like this. Once you know how good he is, there is still more to embrace in Jesus Christ, right? There is more that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. And when it comes to the things in the world, when things get difficult and dark and and challenging, God wants the church to remember that there is more, that God has things like revival where God himself once again pours out a fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit so that he can awaken the church, so that he can set them on fire, so that the lost feel the conviction in their hearts and surrender to Jesus Christ. God wants us to know that there is more. There, I, 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 let me just give you a verse here that, that kind of shows that. I mean, Ephesians 3.20 says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. You may enjoy God a lot. You may imagine a lot of great things. But I want you to know there is still more. And, and, and that's the message. That's the second part of the message about revival. Because revival in many ways is God coming to our rescue in dark times, in difficult times. Because, you know, even, as, even if we're fully healthy Christians... There are some big forces out there 
How many of you know we live in a very broken world right now? Yeah. And God calls us to be light in this world. But the, the, the testimony of the scriptures and of the history of the last 2,000 years is that when things seem to get really rough, we continue to shine as much as the Holy Spirit gives us. But in addition to that, we call out to God and say, God, we are at our ends. We, we don't know what else to do. God, would you come like the Calvary and rescue us in these days? God, would you pour out your spirit? Fill us again, oh God. Set us on fire. God, and that's what we want. You know, God can do more. I want to stretch you to imagine that God can do however good it is in your life. For some of you, it may be tough. You may be struggling as a Christian. For others of you, you are healthy and you are blessed and you know it. There's still more. God is so good. And there is more that he wants to reveal to you. I wanted to share a few stories with you today. I'm running a little tight on time. So I'm going to share very briefly a couple of stories. Uh, uh, one of them comes right from the New Testament. The classic template for modern-day revival. It's found in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And I'll just read, read the text really quickly here for you. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. At this time when he was saying this, Jesus had already died. He had been resurrected. He spent 40 days being with his disciples, teaching them, encouraging them, and giving them the great commission to go out and make disciples of the whole world. Now, I don't know about you, but if I heard Jesus give me the great commission, I'd be a little bit like, oh man, that's big. And you would think that as soon as Jesus ascended, I better get busy and do something because the whole world needs to be discipled. But Jesus did not tell them to just run out and start uh, doing stuff. But he said, wait for the gift my father promised. Because in, in, in verse 8, when the spirit comes, when the gift is given, you then will receive power and you will then be my witnesses throughout the world. The key and I think this is a key of this template, is that if we want to accomplish God's great commission, if we want to see the world that's broken be healed again, what it requires is that we don't just run ahead. Granted, we have spirit in us. Granted, we have spiritual gifts. But the template is that we always need to be a people who are waiting upon the Lord and waiting expectantly. Pastor also talked about what it means to wait, right? You, if it you, took you several years to do the, the, the waiting path, the waiting uh, sermon, right? Um, and that's so appropriate because God calls us to wait, not in the way that we are, you know, biding our time, tapping our toes, twiddling our thumbs, but waiting is a call to expectantly look to God to do what we cannot do, to break into the world as only he can. And then you, know, you read uh, 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 Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You know, when the, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it was not just a, a great uh, a worship set. It wasn't just they had a good time of fellowship. But when God entered the house, there was a rushing wind that even the city knew that God was in the house. When the fire came, people knew that God had, had saw them personally and God was physically manifesting something to single them out and to put anointing on them. You know, and then they all started speaking different languages. And they started being able to share the gospel and share with people around them. If you read the rest of this passage, there are words like wonder and amaze, perplexed. Because when God comes, when revival comes, it's not going to be just something same old, same old. In fact, it might make you very uncomfortable. But let's pray that God makes us very uncomfortable because he gives us more than we've ever seen before. And his heart for the lost makes us uncomfortable, but that's okay. We follow his lead, right? That's what we want. Uh, there are countless other stories uh, in the Bible that talk about when God hears the cries of his people and he breaks upon the scene. Uh, I don't have time to talk about this one, but I'll just mention it. First Kings 18. Uh, many of you may know this passage about Elijah, right? That it was a time when great... 
darkness. King Ahab was at the helm, and the Bible says that he was more evil. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he was more evil than all the other evil kings before him. That's really bad, okay? And God brought judgment upon the king and Israel because uh, King Ahab, Ahab led them astray. And finally, uh, uh, Elijah prayed that there would be no rain. That's judgment. If you've ever been on the Middle East, man, it's kind of dry out there. And if you don't have rain, that's catastrophic. For three and a half years, there's no rain. And then, then when God had everyone's attention, he had Elijah stand before King Ahab. He says, gather all of Israel, and we're going to make a decision tonight. And you know the story that the 450 prophets of Baal are here with their altar. And, and, and for the whole day, they're calling out to their sky god, Baal, that thunder god. Should be no problem for him. And they're cutting themselves, dancing around. Nothing. The silence, silence was deafening. And then as, as evening approached, Elijah stood around the altar. and He had people uh, pour out tons of water on it because he wanted to make the impossible even more impossible to prove that God can do what we cannot do and even more. And then, as you know, he prayed a simple prayer. And God answered with fire from heaven. And all the people cried out, The Lord! The Lord, he is God. And they worshiped him. And God brought a great revival in that place. Note, though, that King Ahab was still in power. There's still darkness sometimes in the midst of revival. But the light is growing. The light is stirring up. The firefall is underway, right? And so I want to encourage you with that. I want to also touch on this. Um, I want to share another revival story, if you don't mind. Uh, I want to talk about revival in America in the early 1800s. And I know there are lots of revival stories. If you like revival stories, go to my website, thinkrevival.com, and we have a lot of stories. But this particular episode I'm going to share with you in the next few minutes is particularly interesting because it deals with North Carolina. You may have heard of that state, and even Charlotte. Around the turn of the century, there's a guy named McGrady. He was born in Pennsylvania, but he was raised in North Carolina. And as God raised him up to be a preacher and revivalist, he tried to do some revival here in North Carolina, but the time wasn't right. People did not like that message. They burned his pulpit. They, they did a number of really uh, aggressive things. And so God started to lead him to go to Kentucky. But before he left, he did a really strategic thing. He, he went to all these churches that he ministered to, and he says, I need you to commit to pray. I want you to pray for revival to break out where God's leading me. And they entered into something called the Carolina Covenant, where these people said, we will pray with you for revival. And we will not just pray for a year or for a season, but until we die or we see the revival come. And there was such a commitment to call upon God. And when, when McGrady went to uh, uh, Kentucky, he, he raised up in, in the area that he was in. Uh, it was a place that was considered one of the worst towns in all of America. But he gathered the church there, and he got those people to pray the same covenant. And they were calling out to God, Oh God, the time is ripe, God. Another great awakening, God, let it be. And God answered. And a revival broke out where people's hearts, said like we read in Acts chapter 2, people's hearts were rended and they were turning to God. There was manifestations of God. People were sensing that this isn't just religion. This isn't just a game. God is in the house. And so we're excited about what God's doing. But here, I want to tell you this. Is, is, as, as they, um, Kentucky, on the map, right? I don't have a map. Kentucky, as a revival set fire in early 1801, it started to move down south. And then it entered eastern North Carolina. And then it started to sweep across the different meetings. And every time, power of God and the presence of God was so clear. And then it turned south. It was just a little bit north of Charlotte. It had turned south. And it started to come through this very area where we stand. In fact, there was a church. That, they were looking for a place to host a revival. There was a place called New Providence Church. And we would know today as Presbyterian, Providence Presbyterian Church. It's about one mile south on Providence. That was a deep well of revival that happened just about 200 years ago. Now, I did some research. In 1800, do you know how many people lived in Charlotte? Right now, there's about, I think they say about half a million or something, about 500,000. But in 1800, there was just 500 people living in Charlotte. Just 500. I think 50 years later, 1850, it was only 1,000. It was some pretty slow growth. 
North Carolina was a place that was considered the frontier of America, and people were pushing west, and, and they were not always the nicest people. They are a little bit rough. In fact, some, some statistics say that just before 1800, only one in 30 people in North Carolina went to church. Only one in 30 people knew Christ. It was a place that was godless, it was rough and tumble. But God had a heart for North Carolina. And when God started to come down into Charlotte, he found this place called New Providence Church. And let me tell you, those who support revival don't always have it easy. They find themselves locked out of their church. They find that people come against them. But people knew that this was something that God was up to. And so you go, you go to, I went there. I went to the back of Presby, the Providence Presbyterian. There's a graveyard there now. But back then, there was no graves. It was an open field, and people came with horses from all over. And in this town of just 500 people at the time, five, 6,000 people, five or 6,000 people came to that revival. The hunger was in their hearts because the Spirit was drawing them. And during that time, God touched so many hearts. God turned around uh, what was going on in North Carolina. You know, today, uh, Charlotte is known as the city of churches because there's the, one of the highest density of churches. The place that had almost no churches is now a place with so many churches. But God isn't done with Charlotte yet because God wants to see these churches not be so, how should I put it, divisive, <laughs> separated, he wants his kids to stop fighting and get along. Because when there's unity in the body of Christ, Amen. then the world will start to realize that God is in the house. God has provided Jesus Christ, and there is just one way to salvation. But as long as we're divided, and I read these all the time on the internet, people say, well, if Jesus is real, why does this church hate this church or never even fellowship with this church? We're putting stumbling blocks, and we don't even know it. But God wants to bring about a great revival he can do more than we ever imagined. One question I want to, you to think about is, do you believe that God has more in store for you than you ever dared imagine? This is a key question to ask. Because if you're just comfortable with where you are now, if, you're, if, you, you, if you're, you've got this Christian thing down, that attitude is not the fuel of revival. You have to have a heart where, yes, you're thankful. In fact, you operate in the gifts and you're trusting God every day. But you also, also, also realize that there is more. This world needs more. The world needs the church to be fully alive. So I need you to believe that there is more. All right? Um, third truth, I'm going to wrap up here, um, is this. God is looking for hearts that are fully his. Some people ask, why isn't revival here? If God wants revival so much, it's because God loves his bride. And before he brings revival, he wants to know, does his bride really want him? Do they really want him? If there's a remnant, he's looking for a remnant. He knows that maybe not 100%, but a remnant of the church, once again, has that heart that's hungry for God. That realizes that we don't have everything inside of us to make it happen. Yes, we can do uh, 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 miracles. We can do healing. We can do deliverance. But the world is so broken. And in this darkness, we need to call upon God to pour out a fresh outpouring of his spirit. And let me tell you, the history attests that God is willing to do this. When the people of God turn from their sin, begin to call upon him, and, and they're committed, they're unrelenting, and they're crying out to God that there is nothing more important than Jesus Christ. There is nothing more important than to, to seek out the lost as Jesus did. There's nothing more important than to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then in those moments, at the right time, under the right conditions, the fire can begin to fall. Oh God, may it be. 2 Chronicles 16.9, some of you know this verse. It says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What an awesome verse. I think I came across this verse when I was still a very young Christian. And I thought, wow, isn't this a thing? God's eyes are looking. He's looking all over the earth. For what? He's looking for a certain kind of heart. It's not about labels. It's not about... Uh, a, a, a status. It's about hearts that are fully committed to him. And it says, when he finds these hearts, oh man, God's excited. And God begins to say, he's going to strengthen those hearts. He's going to empower those hearts. He's going to allow revival to flow through such hearts. 
Are you in a place where you want to be counted among those whose hearts are committed to him? God is looking for those kind of things. Um, <clears throat> there's a movie real quick. Um, Monte Carlo. Anyone see the Count of Monte Carlo? It's an awesome movie. Uh, but there's a scene that comes to mind as I think about this. There's a scene where uh, Edmond uh, Montez, right? No, uh, yeah. Anyway, Edmond, he's the hero of this thing. He's an innocent person who gets thrown into prison on a totally trumped-up charge. He didn't do it, right? And, and while he's there, he, he, he meets a priest who, who he learns from, who's also a soldier, I guess, and he trains him, and then he's able to escape from the uh, Chateau d'If, the, the, the political prison he's put in. And there's a scene where, I guess, after he's swimming in the waters, he comes to an island, and just as luck, he comes across a, a crew of pirates. Wow, okay. And so the pirates don't really take to him, and they plan to kill him. But then they, there's another guy called Yokopo, who is one of the pirate helpers, right? And he did a bad thing. I guess one of the former raids, he had gotten a chest of gold, and he decided that, oh, the chest of gold is for Yakupo. It's not for sharing with the rest of the crew. Well, the captain found out, and they said, well, Yakupo, you really messed up here. You're going to have to die. But now here you have a situation where Edmund is here. They want to kill him. Yakupo has to be killed. So they said, you know what? Let's have some sport. And we'll let you go in a knife, knife fight. And whoever kills the other person, we'll let you uh, join our crew. And the other person, well, he's dead. Okay, so, um, so, so in the movie, they go into this they fight. And, and Edmund, in the, in, long story short, he gets the upper hand. And he is able to get the guy on the ground. And he's got the knife. And at that point, everyone expects him to kill Yakupo. But what he does instead is he convinces the captain that, you know what? Uh, Yakupo has learned his lesson. And I've proven myself to you. So let us both live, and you have an extra hand in your piracy, okay? And, and the, the captain looks at us and thinks about it, and he says, okay. And then as, as, as Emin goes down to the ground, you see Jacopo, who realizes now that he is only alive because this man showed him mercy. And he's grateful, and he's thankful. And he says to Edmund, he says, I'm your man. I'm your man. As we think about what Jesus Christ has done for us at the cross, if a pirate can say this to a person who almost killed him in a knife fight, we need to be able to say to God, God, I'm your man or woman. I'm yours. I'm yours. My heart is committed to you. So Lord God, bring a revival, God. We're calling out, God. Let me end just one last story, all right, if you don't mind. In May of 1934, there was a businessmen's meeting that was taking place right here in Charlotte. These people would gather together, and they would pray for all kinds of things. But one key prayer was for revival. They were praying that God would raise up people who would lead and ignite a great revival that would spread across the world. And one day, as they were praying this, they had another prayer item. And this prayer item was that God would also raise up an evangelist from Charlotte that would become a great evangelist to take the gospel to the whole earth. It turns out that Billy Graham's father was in that group. And little did he know that that day they were praying, Billy Graham was just in a barn nearby, unknowing what was going on. But God heard that prayer. And God grabbed a hold of Billy Graham's heart and raised up an evangelist that, as you well know, has done so much for the gospel, for the kingdom of God. But others have noted that although that second prayer was answered, that first prayer, that burning prayer, that revival would come out of this city has not been answered yet. Not yet. But there are many people, and in the eight years that we've been here, we've met many people who have come to here, this city, because they didn't, some of them don't even know why. They're just like, God told us to come here, and so we're here. But for other people, I know people who've told me that they knew, and we're, we're among those, that God said, you need to go to Charlotte, or I'm going to bring revival to this place. You must go. And so people have just quit their jobs, sold everything, and moved here because we know that God is about to do something amazing. So many people, so many people have been praying for years and decades for revival. And as one friend, has, one friend has said before, with all these prayers being deposited, the time is ready to cash the check. The time is ready soon. 
And so I just want to encourage you all. I want to encourage you all to continue to believe that God has more, that God wants to bring revival. I know we talk about it a lot, but I want our hearts to be committed to him, aligned with him. If that means that we need to set aside some idols, we need to set aside distractions, that we would do so. The story of revival is about people who didn't, weren't powerful in them of themselves, but they said, you know what? There is nothing more important than this. There is no, no one more important than Jesus Christ, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek him. And God is pleased in those moments to bring revival. So you know what? I, I just want to thank you for being a church that believes in what God is going to do. But I want to encourage you and spur you to not relent, to keep pressing in, Pressing closer to the face of God. Because he wants to show his presence to you like you've never known before. He wants to release power into this world to, so that we see people completely healed of the most difficult diseases, whether it's cancer or Alzheimer's, what have you. Nothing can stand against what God wants to accomplish. And so we need to keep pressing in. So I'm going to close in prayer. And uh, let's press in what God wants to do, because we stand in a moment in time, a moment in time, maybe just before, on the last great awakenings. Right. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time that we can come to you, Lord. Thank you that, uh, thank you that you're so good, Father. Thank you that you love this world. You love us so much. God, would you continue to stir in our hearts the belief that, that there is more, that you want to do more, and you're just waiting sometimes for the church to, to, to express a heart of, of desire and hunger for you. God, may we be part of the remnant that calls out to God. May, may we be among those uh, that, that, that are crying to you in, 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 the, in the cellars, uh, in the basement, in the middle of the night, and crying out, God, we need you. We need you. The city needs you. The world needs you, God. Would you bring revival once again? God, thank you, Lord God, that you are so, so amazing. We thank you, Lord. Let the fire fall, God. Bring revival. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you for watching the Sermon of the Week. We pray that you were blessed by it and you felt prompted to act upon what the Spirit of God was saying to you. If you live in the Charlotte area, we would love for you to come and worship with us at one of our weekend gatherings. That way you can find out more about our church family and what we value most. We encourage you also to give to our ministry so that we might continue spreading the gospel of Jesus to our city and throughout the world. To do so, you simply go to missioncommunity.cc, click on the Give button, and the rest is simple. Lastly, I would encourage you to check out the remaining content on our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. That way you will receive all of the reminders for fresh content that we put out. Have a wonderful rest of your day. May God bless you and thank you again for watching this week's message.